Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. So I'm a, a journalist. I'm a former newsreader. I was a newsreader for 20-something years. I'm an author. I've published five books now, and I've written a columns for years, and I've just started a column with Body and Soul about spirituality. And I'm also soon to be qualified to be a life coach. Hi, thanks for joining A Moment with Modern Mentors, A Call for Change. I'm Mia McLeod, and this week I interviewed Jacinta Tynan. She is a journalist by trade. She is an ex-newsreader for Sky, and she is a five-times author. She has just released a new book called The Single Women's Social Club, which is pretty self-explanatory by the title, and we had an awesome chat all about her spiritual journey to get to this point her life, her coaching. She's a fascinating woman. She's very thoughtful and deep thinking, and she has a wealth of knowledge on a lot of different subjects, but passionate about sharing her wisdom to women particularly and helping other women get up and feel good about themselves. So definitely tune in, have a listen. You're going to love this one. Jacinta Tynan's my guest, and I can't wait for you to listen to it too. Hi, Jacinta. It is so great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. We have had this plan for a long time and it's great to finally have you on the podcast. Tell oh, us. It's, it's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Mia. Thanks for having me. Well, you know me in a, in a very different way. We've been skiing together and have known each other in the social scene, but there is this other side to me. I know. We have known each other for a long time. We've got a mutual friendship circle and we've been skiing in Japan. That was awesome. But tell, tell me how your career has led you up to this point. I mean, you've written five books. How does that even happen? I think when I set out in my career, I actually wanted to just tell stories. So originally when I was at school, you know, that if you trace, you can always trace things back to when you're a child, because that's before anybody gets in there and tells you what you should do. When you're thinking like, what is my dharma? What am I meant to do? You can go back to childhood and that's where the truth usually lies. And for me, I wanted to be an actor. It's, or there was a brief stage where I wanted to be a ski instructor. <laughs> that, I wanted to be an actor and it's all I ever wanted to do. So I would take myself off to acting classes at ATYP in the city on the train. I'd catch the train in. I'd do NIDA summer schools and it was just all I was ever going to do. Wow. But when I look back, I realized that's storytelling. It's That was just another form of storytelling and it just nobody had explained to me yet that there's many ways to tell stories and that's what was intriguing me. Mind you, I still do love the acting thing. And so then I just studied journalism and after school, I think this is another interesting thing. You can always see the sliding doors moments mm. in your life and in your career when you look back. And one of the big sliding doors moments for me was when I remember meeting with the careers counsellor at school when I was in year 11. I'll never forget the moment. And see, you don't forget those pivotal moments, do you, <laughs> when your life changes course. And she said to me, so what are you thinking of doing? And I said, oh, acting. There was just no doubt about it. I, that's what I was going to do. And she said, oh, no, 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 that's not a stable career. It's not a good <laughs> idea. So she started looking at my academic results and said, oh, well, you're topping English. You could, have you thought about journalism? So I both thank her and am slightly regretful about that moment because it did kind of kill off a dream for me, but it also got me thinking about this other path, which has been very good to me and which has been my truth, I think, in yeah. storytelling, the journalism and what, thing. So, and what do you think led you to kind of having such a, a passion for English and writing? Like, was that something that were you a bookworm as a kid or your parents were very encouraging? What was like leading you on that path? 
I did like to read books and I love stories as a kid, but I think that it's in the blood. Yeah. Because I'm Irish descent, we like to tell stories, right? But also my great uncle was a very famous author and my and my grandfather was an author and they published books. So it was just around me that that was a thing to do, I guess. And possible. And I think that that storytelling thing can be hereditary. And so maybe that's where it came from. I don't know. I just know that I was drawn to it from a really young age. Amazing. And so you have kind of been on the journey, but you've written five books. Obviously, this last book, The the Single Mother's Social Club, is, is your most recent. But tell us a little bit about some of the, well, how you got your book writing skills in place and got the confidence to launch and publish and how it's gone. Yeah, I, well, I think everything in my life has led to this point. Anyone can say that really, right? But it's just that we don't always see it like that. So you don't you don't always join the dots as you go along. We, we can look back and do that. But the, I think there's a skill in having that awareness in the moment and being able to see where it's going. And I'm getting better at that. I've been a news presenter and a reporter for years, which has been a wonderful career for me, but it wasn't necessarily true to me. Certainly not in the end. Yeah. And I was hanging in there out of fear. And yeah. as we all know, that's not sustainable. If that if you're hanging out of the for the wrong reasons, out of fear in the end, then the universe will send it crashing down. And so <laughs> that's what happened to me. And so, yes, back to the writing career, I always had that desire, but just never thought that was possible because I was a journalist and I wrote facts and I wrote hard news and I was working for the ABC and the 730 report and then commercial networks and then Sky News and I was dealing in facts. And so I actually did a writing course years ago. My first book came out in 2005. So it was quite a few years ago now. It was after I did a writing course just because I was interested. And it was this writing teacher who said to me, you can do this. You've got a book in you. And sometimes as we know, that's what it takes. It takes a mentor. It takes someone else to Mm. actually see what you're capable of and you can't see yourself. And that gave me the confidence. So I wrote my first book then. And I don't see myself as a full-time author. I'm not at the moment. It can't sustain me. But I just know that it's whenever I have a story in me, Mm. when I've got something to say, that's when I tend to write. So my books kind of have this like five-year gap in between because I write memoir usually. Yeah. So it's it's what is going on for me. So what was the first book that you wrote? You're giving me goosebumps, by the way. <laughs> um, tell us about the first book uh, and how it's led on to the second and third and now to this one. Well, see, I'm hesitating because I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed about the first book now. <laughs> Don't. We shouldn't be, no, but because, of course, as we say, all the dots join up and it's all yeah. part of the story. But the first book was called Good Man Hunting. (laughs) And I wrote it when I was in my early 30s. And I wrote it because I think at that time, there's that real pressure to meet a good man and to have Mm. a baby. And there's that biological pull. And so around me, the circle I was in, there was this real pressure for women, not the boys, not the men in the group, still calling them boys. We were all starting to think about having babies because there's that biological pull, even if your head's not there. And so there was this pressure to meet someone. So I just, it's like, I see what's going on around me and I, and I want to tell that story. So I, I interviewed some friends and I wrote my own story about what was going on at that time. And I feel like you have had like all your books have really talked through your journey of life. I mean, as you just said, it's kind of like a time and a moment that's happening to you. And it's really kind of like, it's it's almost like a feeling that has to come out into the pages. You just feel propelled to put it into writing. And I mean, your titles are so catchy. I know it's like self-explanatory, but I feel like people need that kind of self-explanatory title to really kind of connect with a book and the cover and the, and the artwork is so recognizable. Tell us a little bit about how you kind of get those ideas 
these onto paper and then publish. Like, because I think this is something that, you know, there's a lot of people probably out there thinking, I've got a book in me, but they have no idea how to actually make that happen. Well, I think everyone's got a story in them, actually. <laughs> I do. I think everyone's yeah. got a story to tell, every single person. But then it is, it takes a certain skill, I guess, to make that story of interest to others. I've always been drawn to telling real stories. I think that's you know where the dots are joined again is why I'm attracted to journalism. I really admire fiction writers. I don't think I could do that. I don't, I'm not even going to attempt it. Well, never say never, of course. <laughs> but I really admire fiction writers because they have to really use their imagination and make the whole thing up. I just write what's happening. <laughs> that's not, I don't see that as is so hard, but it's about finding that that unique thing that's going on for me, and then realizing, well, actually, if it's going on for me, then mm. other people are experiencing this as well, and so then I'll write about it. Mm. And so then that's why it's been those intervals in my life when I'm going through something that I think others are going through this too, and I'm sure they could resonate because I actually think that writing memoir or writing your story or sharing your story, if you're not the one writing it, I think it's a really generous act. Yeah. Because it's in the stories of others that we see ourselves. So if people open up and share what's going on for them and are vulnerable and and are really authentic about that and sharing their truth, then when other people read that, they feel less alone and they see themselves. And so that's why I love that kind of writing and I love that kind of reading. And my columns are like that too. When I'm not writing books, I'm writing columns and they are always spurred on by something that's going on for me. Okay. So you've got Good Man Hunting and then you've got the Single Mothers Club at number five. Tell us what the the next three books in between, because we have to have the full picture. (laughs) Right. I love that you're asking me in all this detail. We're going back down memory lane. So Good Man Hunting was with Random House uh, in 2005. And the next book I did was a couple of years later. It was, I'm really proud of this one, actually. I It's called Some Girls Do, My Life as a Teenager. And what I did was I actually got something like 50 of Australia's top female authors. And I asked them to write the true story of their adolescence. And they were amazing how they jumped on board with that. None of them said no. I had Leanne Moriarty, Tara Moss. I had uh, Nikki Gemmell, Tara Mm -hmm. June Winch, the incredible authors that were part of that that book. And they all dug deep Mm -hmm. and they really shared these really vulnerable moments from their teenage years. And I did that because at the time, I was patron of a charity called Sister to Sister where we mentored teenage girls. So I actually wrote the book as a way of inspiring young women to see that the teenage years are not necessarily the best years of your life. That's what everyone tries to tell you, right? But they're not. (laughs) And I wanted them to see that all of these incredible women had been through something and their teenage years were tough. And you've got the power of obviously having some notoriety yourself and being a personality and a media personality that you're actually able to round up this group of amazing people to help participate in in books and obviously make them really important. So, I mean, that's you, that comes down to you, that you're able to do that and the power of your reputation. Well, I would actually interrupt there to say that, because I wouldn't want anyone listening to this to think, oh, you can only do that if you've got a name. I, I wasn't a big name back then. I'm still not. I was working at the ABC at the time as a journalist. And I think I was there. No, I wasn't. I'd left. I was at Sky News by then. But it it, it was it's just about asking. Yeah. That's actually it. It's I don't yeah. think these authors necessarily, all of them knew who I was, but it's that I asked and they thought it was a good idea. Yeah. And also I donated all the royalties of that book to Sister to Sister. So it was also a way of fundraising. So I think that's another reason that, that wow. these authors were, wanted to come on board. And that book did really well. And I donated all the money. And also that's the other thing that happens, right? We know this, that when you're doing something for the greater good, 
somehow it just all flows. Mm, it's so true. I was just thinking about that this morning. Next, we've got to go on to the next book, which was. Yeah, no, the next book was Mother Zen. Mother Zen. Right. Sorry, Mother Zen came out in 2015. Yeah. And that was a, a, a book. I'm looking at it now, actually. It's on the shelf <laughs> over there and archived. <laughs> it's actually still circulating. I still get emails to this day from people saying how much that helps them with their motherhood, which just is makes it all worthwhile. But I wrote that book because I wrote a column. So I had a column with Sunday Life for many years. I still contribute there. And I wrote a column when my first son was born, he was about 10 months old, about the joys of motherhood, because I felt that nobody talks about that side of motherhood. (laughs) All you hear about is how tough it is all the time. And that's one of the things that put me off. I'm not kidding. I was a geriatric mother, as they they call you, because I got pregnant at 39. It's considered very old to have a child. And one of the reasons, there were many, but one of the reasons I put it off was because I didn't think I'd be any good at it because everybody talks all the time about hardest thing you'll ever do. You'll never sleep again. You'll never go to the movies again. You won't see your friends again. There's so much bad press about motherhood. So I was really gearing up for it. And then when my son came along, yes, he stayed up all night, did all the things babies do. He wasn't an easy baby. He did what babies do. Yeah. And I kept waiting for the sky to fall in and it never did. <laughs> I just loved it. I was so, I'd never felt so content. Mm. I never felt like I had such a purpose. And so then naively, When he was about 10 months old, I bashed out a column one day about how this is so easy. No one tells me it's easy. And then it went viral for all the wrong reasons. That column just attracted a lot of heat and it was hard, actually. I can laugh about it now, but it was really hard at the time because people were really coming down on me. I was trolled relentlessly, although I don't even know if that word was around then. All that criticism of, you know, what would you know? It's easy for you and people making assumptions about my life Mm. because how could it possibly just be easy for me? And so then it was as a result of that, I wrote the book because I just realized there's a bigger conversation to be had around why some women are struggling so much with motherhood and others aren't. And it's nothing to do with circumstances. That's what I realized is circumstances. There were women with five kids and no help who were loving it. Others with one child really struggling. So I just explored that. I interviewed experts, mothers. I wrote about my experiences. And the one piece that I really focused on was my meditation practice, because I know without a doubt that it's my meditation that helped me so much yeah. to be present and to enjoy this moment. And so other Zen is all about that, how to be more Zen. Yeah. And do you feel that that is all about just taking some time out for you, like very specifically into in a day, allocating some time that kind of focuses on yourself? Is that the meditation part of it or? Yeah, it's really important, but I I think that it's great. Go and have a bubble bath, go for a walk if you can. All of those things are important, but I do think we know meditation is incredibly powerful and I do 20 minutes twice a day. And so just that practice is enough to change the neural pathways in your brain and life just goes more smoothly. There's a lot more to that, of course, and there's a lot of scientific research, but I do think there's a very big difference between taking time out and relaxing and taking time out to do a conscious practice like meditation. What got you into meditation? I'll tell you what, when I was pregnant and I thought, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to do this. I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to cope. I'd had depression before. Yeah. I was worried that I was a prime candidate for that. And I was scared of all the bad press you hear about motherhood. And I thought this is going to all fall in a heap unless I get some tools. And so I learned to meditate when I was about five months pregnant with my first baby. 
Did you get yeah. some help to do that or just? Yes, learn? I went, I did a Vedic meditation course wow. with a, a man called Tim Brown, who's in Paddington in Sydney. And it's so simple. It is so simple that I kept thinking there has to be more to this. I kept saying, am I doing this wrong? And he says, the only way to do meditation wrong is not to do it. Get up early to do it? No, I don't because I'm not a morning person. So this is what I love about Vedic meditation. And I'm not here to ram that down anyone's throats, whatever you do. (laughs) You, You choose what you need to do to get to get by and to, well, not just to get by, but to flourish mm. in life. But you're asking me what works for me and this is what works for me. So what I love about Vedic meditation is, no, you don't have to go and sit on a mountaintop at dawn and meditate for two hours or go to a cave for a week. You don't have to do all that. 20 minutes, twice a day, reciting a mantra. Or it's based, it's focusing on a mantra. I don't say reciting because actually you end up going to deeper places and lose the mantra, but that's a whole another layer of the conversation. So. I think you can always find 20 minutes. You can. Mm. People say, I don't have time to meditate. Yeah, you do. You've just <laughs> got to prioritize it. Yeah. And for me, I prioritize it because if I don't, and there have been times when I've missed it, if I even miss one of those two days, I can tell the difference. That's fantastic. And it's amazing you've built that into your practice every day and that's working for you and kind of making you feel noticeably different. So. I think, well, I have been talking about trying, going to try meditation for years and I haven't, so I need to. People talk about it more and more. So have we covered off all the books yet? Oh, and then we get One to, more. oh, I did oh, I did a reprint, uh, another version of Some Girls Do My Life as a Teenager for the 10th anniversary. So I just added a few more authors and updated some of the other authors. So that counts as a fourth book. Yeah. And then my fifth book, The Single Mother's Social Club, it's just out. It's out now. Yeah. Fantastic. And with Murdoch Books, available in all good bookstores and online. It's available everywhere. I've had a little Google of you and you literally can buy it everywhere. It's fantastic. Kmart, Target, everywhere. So that's fantastic. And it's very affordable and it's in all kinds of versions. So it says an audio book, isn't it? Or a, and a, and a, not it, yet, actually. Not, oh, okay. Not uh, yet. But people are asking me. So Download it. Are you going to do the audio yourself? We haven't even talked about it. It's people have, the book has just come out and people have been emailing me actually, direct messaging me saying, where's the audiobook? So I can <laughs> talk to the publishers about it, but it would make sense for me to voice it, wouldn't it? And, and so what's, what, tell us all about it. Tell us how you got here, what the story's about and, and you know, if, if this feels like your destiny. Well, it was a bit like writing the other books where it just occurred to me, there's something going on in my life that is not unique. There's a lot of other people experiencing it and I couldn't find any other books on single motherhood. So there are great websites and there's podcasts and there's other resources, but I couldn't find any books. And I wanted to read the stories of other women that are raising children on their own, or at least part of the time for some of them. So it became apparent that I needed to be the one to (laughs) write it. And so I wanted to share my own story, but not so much. More importantly, I wanted to share the stories and the narratives of other women. And so I interviewed many, many women for the book. And I interviewed women who are divorced and separated, women who are widows and single mothers by choice. And I just got, I got different experiences and anecdotes and insights from them. And I also interviewed a lot of experts and I wanted the book to be both part memoir. So you read that and you you can resonate and see yourself in the stories of others, which is that theme of mine. And I also wanted it to be a, a bit of a guidebook and a resource. So there's lots of wisdom and tips in there. And I end each chapter actually with lists of wisdom, wisdom from single mothers and, and experts so that, so, so that you can come away feeling like you've got something from it. And the feedback I'm getting so far 
is really encouraging on that front. I had one woman say to me, she direct messaged me just the other day, and she said, this is the first time I have felt peace in months. And I thought, wow, that sentence alone makes me think it was worth it. Fantastic. And I mean, it's such a sensitive time, obviously, going through being a single mum. You've written this fairly quickly out of a situation. How have you had the kind of poise to be able to put all those feelings and emotions, you know, into a, into a book so early on? Well, it's been five years since I left home with my two kids. Right. That is, a, it's a short time, but it's also a long time. Yeah. And I felt that the time was right now for me to tell the story because I have settled into this life now. You know, if you wrote it at the start, your emotions would probably be too raw and might come out a bit sideways. And you're also pretty confused and trying to settle into this new world order because it is a new world order. But now felt, I mean, started writing, it took me about 15 months to write. But when I started writing it, it felt like the right time. I've got enough perspective on it. I can pull back now and I can look back and see how far I've come. It's actually quite cathartic to write about the journey because it makes you realise that there is a narrative to it. There is an arc to the story and Mm. all great stories have an arc. It's the hero's journey, right, which is that spiritual journey Mm. where you have a challenge and you can take up that challenge or not and you go through the the trials and you can come out the other side victorious and that's the narrative. But the victory is the the growth and the evolution. Which, and, and can you give us a little kind of insight into the surviving slashed out embracing part of the uh, the slogan? Yeah, well, because I think that there's a narrative very much that single motherhood is tough. Well, it is tough, by the way. <laughs> but there's a, there's a story that there's something lacking. And if you're a single mother, you've done something wrong. You're not doing life right. There's still that there's a stigma around single motherhood still. And there, you know, that was very much more so in our mother's generation, of course, mm-hmm. when single mothers were called fallen women and Mm. their children were illegitimate. And if they had children outside of wedlock, can you believe they even call it that? Outside (laughs) of wedlock. So we've come a long way since then, thank goodness, but the stigma is still there. And all the single mothers that I spoke to talked about that very much feeling on the outer and the social exclusion. And so there's this sense that if you're a single mom, you are in survival mode and tough luck, but you're just going to have to buckle up and deal with it. But the women that I spoke to and all the women I know and myself included, yes, it's tough. It really is. You're not designed to raise kids on your own. It's not the way it's meant to be. But it is also wonderful. There are Mm. so many upsides to it. It can be the most liberating experience. You have a wonderful bond with your children. You've got autonomy, dominion over the (laughs) thermostat temperament of your home. And it's also a chance for you. It's an invitation for you to step up and find strength you didn't know you have. Yeah. And to evolve and grow. And so we don't deserve pity. We deserve respect and yeah. to be revered. Well, I think, I mean, one of the takeaways that I feel has come from this book is obviously the ability to kind of connect with other people and the different ways that single mothers can be single mothers, not all put in a box and kind of expected to be the same way. I've got plenty of single mother friends who, you know, are quite content, happy in their various format. I think there's so much to figure out. Often you feel like you're doing it on your own. So this book is fantastic. But tell us a little bit about how you kind of wrote it and some of the, I know you by this time, you obviously it's your fifth book, so it's probably not as daunting, but you interview a lot of people and you get a lot of people involved. How does the story come together? Does it kind of come together as you're writing it or did you have a beginning, middle and end and you kind of knew what you were going to do straight off? You know, that question brings me back to why I don't write fiction. (laughs) Because I think fiction writers, again, I just admire them so much, but I imagine they have to plot where this is going. But no, for me, it's that I 
started to do the interviews and in the process of talking to women and also my own story, you get to see that, ah, I see where this is going. What are the common themes and what are the outcomes for the women that are that they have in common? And that's where the story arc starts to take place. And then I realized this is not a story of lack and something missing and and pity. It's a story of growth and redemption. And there's a, all the the wonderful opportunities that single mothers have. So that's why the story takes on that format. So no, I didn't set out knowing how it was going to go. I knew it was going to be an uplifting take on single motherhood. Yeah. Because that's what I wanted to write. And I knew that I wanted to break down the stigma, but I wasn't sure until I spoke to these women what was going to come out and the stories that they shared and their insights. Again, they were so generous Mm. in opening up and that's how the story took shape. It was a really laborious task at times. Mm. And I have to say, writing can be like that. It's not all sitting there waiting for the muses to strike and (laughs) and just in flow with the universe. You have moments like that. If you're a writer, you do love it. I had moments where I'd say, oh, is this my life? I get to sit here and write this a dream. But there are other moments where it is laborious. Oh, God, I've got a deadline. I've got to get this done. And it's a bit of both. But you just have to, like anything you have, if it's worth it, you push through. And it does require you to push through. And you have to make sacrifices and give other things up because... I knew that this was a story worth telling. That's what motivated me. You know, I need to get this out there because there's women that need to read this story and there's women that their life perspective will be changed by reading these stories of other women and getting this advice and this wisdom. So better get to it then. (laughs) So did you say it took you 14 months to do that? Yeah, well, it's hard. People always ask me how long the book took and it's really hard to pinpoint because there's that moment where you get the book deal, which is very exciting. So first of all, you write a proposal. Not all books go this way, by the way, but this is quite a common way is that I wrote a proposal and pitched it to the publisher. And then when they come back and say, so that takes time because that gets you thinking I had to write chapter proposals and I think I had to write a couple of chapters and then also a synopsis and so on. And then when they say, yes, it's all go, I, I went into denial a little bit, I think, because I'm I busy, I'm working and I have two kids, I'm a single mother, we know that, right? So <laughs> I had a lot going on. And then my publisher said to me, how's it going? Have you got anything to show me yet? And I went, <gasps> so then I started to put my, my mind to it. But then guess what happened? Lockdown, coronavirus happened in quite right towards the beginning of me writing this book. So mm-hmm. I actually didn't do anything for a couple of months with the book because I was exhausted homeschooling yeah. two young kids. And as we know, homeschooling is not just leaving them to it. It is, if you've got primary school kids, you're pretty much the teacher. So as I'm there teaching unlike fractions and trying to remember all my rules of grammar, I was too exhausted to to do anything else. So anyway, the point is of all this is that it went on for about 14 or 15 months, but it wasn't constant. I would down tools for a little bit. Then I was behind deadline. So I missed my deadline. Then I had to ask for an extension and on it went. And so then you've got editing deadlines. And then when you finally get it in, it's a great feeling of relief. But like anything you've created, you do think, oh, I could have done better. I finally got this. I could have done that interview. I could have spoken to that person, but you have to let it go. Yeah, that's so true. It's like the final words. And although it's, uh, you know, obviously you can edit anything digitally these days, a book is still a book, right? Yeah. So you've got your, <laughs> your version. And tell me, like, how did you kind of choose the artwork and the title and and all those pieces that obviously make it so marketable as well? Because it's such an eye-catching logo and, and background. I love it. 
Can't take any credit for those things. Uh, so with all my other books, I have come up with the titles. I think the titles are really important and they've just come to me. Guess what? In a meditation, usually. They have, actually. But this one, a friend, my friend Juanita Phillips, who is the ABC Newsreader in Sydney, she is also a single mum and we've been supporting each other all this time. And when I told her I wanted to write this book, she said, this is the title, I think, and I just love it. So I give her full credit. Are you okay if I use that? And she is, and I've thanked her in the acknowledgement. So that's her title, 100%, and it's a great <laughs> title. And when I told the publishers that, there was no doubt about it. We didn't have to think for another, t- think of another title. That's the one. And sometimes uh-huh. that happens. You don't even have to go through brainstorming sessions. That's it. The cover, again, usually with the cover, I have a lot of say in it. And this time my, my publisher, Kelly Doust, who was at Murdoch Books at the time, she's since gone to another publisher, And as I was busy beavering away on the book and had my head down very much on the words, I sort of thought, oh, I guess they'll come to me soon and start discussing covers. And then one day I got this email from Kelly that popped up as I was editing and it said, here's the cover. I hope you like it. And she put in the preamble, we've gone to a really good designer. They'd really worked hard is the point. She gave me this backstory of how hard they'd worked to find the right designer, gone through a few different incarnations of the cover. So I hope you like this. So I thought, (laughs) gosh, I better like it because they've gone through all this trouble. So I was quite nervous. I clicked on it and went, oh, I love it. I love, I love the cover. It's beautiful. You can see it behind me. I love the colors. I love the sense of camaraderie and that community and the club all these women supporting each other. So, and they're really, they're really kind of contemporary colors and it feels like a work of art to me. And then the, you asked me about the subtitle, we kind of brainstormed that together. So that's how it all happens. That's great. So collaborative and interesting that you say that Juanita Phillips was, was she your kind of your, your wife after you separated? Juanita's separation was a bit before mine. And so uh, I so supported her. Well, I hope so. I tried to be a good friend. Well, I say that because I don't think you really know what it's like to be a single mother unless you're there. So you can be as supportive as you can. And please do, anyone listening to this who's not a single mother, please reach out to your single mum friends. They need support. They need help. But unless you're in it, you don't really know what it is they need. So I tried to be a good friend, but I could see now that I could have done different things. And then when I went through it, yes, there was a a tribe of women who were there very much for me. Yes, she was very much one of them, still is. And that is just something you couldn't get by without. Mm. I write about that a lot in the book because we need our women, don't we? At at any time, the best of times, but something like this, which is so overwhelming and you've had the rug pulled out from under you and life is the trajectory of your life has completely changed. Yeah, It can be a really frightening time. So it's yeah. great to have that wisdom of women who've gone there before you. Totally. I think that's absolutely key. That real kind of group of people that are absolutely on board with what's going on for you because they've been through it themselves. It's your own little club. So if you don't have those friends, or even if you do, they're all here in this book. So people have said it's like it's like people are talking to me. It's like I'm included. That's exactly yeah. that's exactly oh. what I wanted. Beautiful. So you've got this book out. You're obviously busy promoting it and marketing it. What what next for you? Like, is it this going to take up uh, the next twelve months for you, or do you have to sh- shuffle this with other pieces of work? And how do you move forward in the future when you've got a book out like this? Well, as we speak, I'm in the middle of the publicity for the book. It's been going a few weeks, and we've been getting great publicity. Actually, the publicists at Murdoch have done a really wonderful job, and also I think the book 
probably sells itself a little bit because it is such a unique topic, but it affects so many people because it's not just single mothers. I also wrote it for other people to know how to support single mothers. And I also wrote it for those who are contemplating becoming a single mother, whether leaving a relationship or having a baby on their own. So yeah, kind of covers everyone and it is a really unique story to be told. So it is, it is kind of selling itself a little bit, but we're on the trail with that now. So I'm doing lots of podcasts and yeah. <laughs> I've done lots of radio interviews and I'm doing press as well in New Zealand from here because the book's sold there as well. So there's quite a bit going on still with that. And what's next for me? Because you have to always plan the next yeah. thing because I'm not working in full-time anymore as a journalist. I, I was a newsreader up until a year ago. I am actually studying life coaching at Nature Care College and I will, that, that will be finished at the end of the year. So I've started to take on clients in a volunteer capacity to get my practice up and I'm loving it. It's like, again, all roads have led to this point. I'm wow. really enjoying that. And I also have just started a new column, Body <laughs> and Soul. So Body and Soul is the lift out, you know, in news limited papers on Sundays. And I'm writing a column about spirituality. And I tell you, that is a dream come true because that's an area that's always interested me. And I think that the the editor, Sarah Lamarckand, has really recognized that this is a, a time when people are ready for that now in the yeah. mainstream. So it used to be spirituality used to be considered a bit out there, you know, it's only for certain people. And so now people are really realizing that this so yeah. the time is right. And I'm really happy that the editor, Sarah Lamarckand, could see that and, and she took this on because I think, yeah, even a few years ago, people were thought that spirituality and spiritual practices were for certain people. They were a bit out there. It wasn't really for them. But now everyone is, everyone's meditating and doing yoga and doing affirmations in the mornings and surrendering and practicing (laughs) all of this stuff, which is so important because we can see that the other model, the old model of hustle and grind doesn't get you anywhere. And it leaves you feeling pretty flat. And so I think people have realized, and I think let's say even more so since coronavirus hit our planet, people are realizing what matters and it's the connection and it's trusty. You have the world went mad. So we have to trust in a higher source. Perhaps there's more out there. And so I feel like this is just such a wonderful time to be able to share that with people in a really palatable way. So it's like I say, all roads have led to this point because my journalism background, where I'm used to delivering facts and writing things in a way that people understand, also is combining with my spiritual practices and what I know there and my knowledge and my search, my continual search for more on that. So I can present this stuff, hopefully, in a way that people can really relate to and and understand and see that how it can be adapted for them. So how does the column work? Is it a a weekly column and you basically take a topic? What's your approach to it? We're we're going monthly. Yeah. I've already published two of them and the next one comes out in a couple of weeks. And really it's up to me. Sarah's given me a lot of leeway there. I will never run out of topics. (laughs) The first one I wrote about, if anyone wants to look at them, they're on the Body and Soul website. Yeah. And I think it's bodyandsoul.com.au. The first one I wrote was about spirituality. What is it? How do you get more spiritual? And I present these things in a really easy to understand way. And the second one I wrote was about meditation, which you've already heard me go on about. But (laughs) I, I talked about in that column how it's like there are two phases to my life. I said it was like BM before meditation and AM after meditation (laughs) because I can see the difference in myself, in my perspective, in my life, how it's all played out, which doesn't mean it's all been roses. It actually meant that everything fell apart. But again, this is a theme of the book that things have to fall apart and destruct before you can have creation. So don't be afraid of things falling apart, actually, because if they're not right for you and they're not serving you, you have to let go of it. 
to yeah. make way for the new. So I wrote about that. And the next one I've, I've written about, which is out in a couple of weeks, I've already filed it. That is about how it, it's the upside of struggle, how we need suffering to grow. Mm. So again, not to be afraid to go into suffering, not to run from it, because that's our greatest opportunity to, to evolve and step up as a person. That leads nicely on what I was going to ask you, which is what is important to you as a human? I think it's to be constantly evolving and growing. So just to become more conscious. That that's not as easy as it sounds because it requires you to you have to you have to go deep and you have to unearth those dark parts of yourself and bring them into the light. And it can be uncomfortable, it can be really confronting, but it's preferable, I think, to the to the alternative, which is living outside of yourself. I've done that for years. Mm. And when you do that, you can never rest easy because you're always you always feel a bit like something's not quite right. And so I want to be self-aware and I want to step into my truth and choose love over fear. And that's a constant reminder to be able to do that. I want to be able to sit with the suffering and sit with the emotional angst, be brave enough to do that because that's when you grow and that's when you come out the other side. Otherwise, you just keep on band-aiding it and it'll come back. Mm. It's the harder road. It is definitely the harder road. I still stuff up. And I, I sometimes don't know which way to turn, but I've found that as I become more conscious and I do the work, because you have to do the work, I've found that the wait time, I guess, between the confusion and the self-recrimination and the blaming outside and all of those, that messy mm. stuff, and knowing which path to take and finding your truth at the moment, that's shorter. That wait time mm. is shorter. Absolutely. And I feel that as you're saying that what I'm feeling is work, but I feel, is there another way? You have to do it. There is. Right? There's a saying that my meditation teacher says that once the elephant has been in the room, <laughs> once the elephant has been in the tent, the tent is no longer the same. And that means once you know this stuff, you can't really look back. You can't unsee it. Absolutely. So when, once you're on the path, you're either in or you're out. And once you're in, you can't jump out because then you know that that's available to you. Mm. Yes. I feel like most people go through this at one point or another. It might take a longer time for someone, but almost everyone I know, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that hasn't had a moment in their life where there's this just, you know, life-changing thing going on, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a, you know, a marriage disintegrating or children, you know, having to split children or whatever the thing is, something has happened to cause them to take a self-evaluation. Do you feel that that's something that's kind of poignant for you? Yeah, we've all had those moments, but the difference is we get them all the time, right? Our kids are getting them too. But the difference is most of us run from it because we, we're afraid and we're hardwired to run from fear and panic and suffering. That's what our brains are wired to do. So we do that. We run and we find those escape routes, but there's no growth in that. So yeah. you, if it's, I talked before about the hero's journey and it is a spiritual term, but we're all presented with that invitation. Do you want to take up this challenge or do you want to run from it? And if you take up the challenge, you're going to hit roadblocks along the way and it's going to be tough, but then you come out the other side and you will notice that you have shifted your perspective and your life perspective has changed. So it's worth when life goes crashing down and when life destructs, because it will, you've got an opportunity to, in the book, I call it reset. The middle section of the book is called reset. So it's an opportunity to check in with yourself and to recreate from there. And then once you've done that work, then there's that beautiful reward of creation where you get yeah. to create the life you want based more on your truth rather than trying to cover up for your pain. So you live a life aligned with your truth instead of a life running away from what you don't want. 
Yeah, love it. So what does it feel like putting a book out like this with a title and such a, a big statement? You know, everyone's kind of obviously knows now that you're a single mother if they didn't before. How does that feel into the public? I'm proud of it. That's why yeah. I wrote the book because as one woman I interviewed in the book said, I wear my single mother badge like a like a badge of honour mm. with pride and I feel the same way. It's, well, it's sort of neither here nor there. It's it's That's why I don't understand the stigma around single motherhood. It just so happens my life has gone this way where yeah. I'm raising my boys partly on my own and a lot of people are the same. So that's that's okay. It's just another, it's just another thing I'm dealing with right now and I'm really happy to share that side of myself if it makes others feel less alone. Because if anybody is feeling a stigma around that, which I've never felt, then perhaps they'll feel less of that by Mm. me sharing what's going on for me and interviewing other women as well. Love it. So what's one thing you'd like to change or make happen now? You're already doing it by the sounds of it, but is there anything more that you need to do? (laughs) There is so much, Mia. There is so much. I think the main thing is I've got a lot of sticking points, of course, and The main one for me is abundance. I want to create more abundance in my life. And I don't just mean financial, although that is very welcome to financial abundance, but just to really sink into accepting that there is enough to go around for all of us. And there's enough love, there's enough goodwill, connection, joy, beauty, opportunities. I've still got a way to go on, I think, and I'm I'm putting a lot of work into doing that, into accepting that I deserve that and we all deserve that. And there's enough to go around. So in the book, actually, I, I had a chapter on financial mindset. Mm. And it's so it's when you when you're talking about finances, it's not just about getting your budgeting in order and making sound financial decisions, although that's important. It's also there's a spiritual concept around watching your thoughts about money because and abundance, because as we know, well, most people in your audience would know that our thoughts create our reality. So you got to watch that. So I think you got to watch your money stories. And I think with me, I've got some old stuck money stories that I need to work through. So watch this space. <laughs> well, as you're speaking to me about that exact part, the coaching, life coaching, and the title of this book, what's coming up for me is thinking you you absolutely need to help other people go through this with some kind of coaching training course, which is called the Single Mother Social Club. I mean, that's your next follow-on from this, right? You can combine all those things together. I can help you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think when I when I uh, start coaching for for money, because at the moment I'm doing it in a volunteer perspective, I I think that inadvertently I will uh, attract probably some mothers who are single mothers and are going through Mm. this transition, and that's very welcome. But I probably wouldn't make it my only thing because I think that that um, there are many other areas in life where we hit transition phases Mm. and. Uh, we've got that opportunity to create something else. And I think that's where I hopefully can bring some guidance to people because I've done a lot of that myself. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I, I've got the training now while I'm still getting it to to officially coach others, but I also have the life experience and that counts for a lot. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So you've written obviously a lot of great books, but are there any books that have really changed and shaped you and just make your life what it is now? Uh, yes, there are quite a few. As you can imagine, I have, I have a teetering pile of books by my bedside. I don't always get around to all of them. I sort of have bookmarks in half of them I um, the and then go back to them when I want. But I find you can read a book, especially the so-called inspirational books, 
and I sometimes it doesn't really resonate with you mm. then and you don't really get it but then I find as you evolve and you do more of the work and you peel off more layers then those mm. books take on new meaning so an example of that would be Eckhart Tolle's books they're like that for me so The Power of Now and A New Earth mm. I read them when they first came out so over a decade ago and it, it seemed too esoteric and I didn't get it mm. but I reread them recently and suddenly I understood mm. what he was saying and I know that if I reread them again in a few years I'll sink into another level again so I think there are really good these kind of books are a really good way of testing of seeing how far you've come <laughs> but another book and the one I thought I'd mentioned today that's like a salve every time I pick it up is it's called When Things Fall Apart by oh, Pema Chodron yeah but that and thing, yeah. I actually quote at the start of my book The Single Mother Social Club I quote from that book and it is fear is a natural reaction to moving closer to the truth I just love that. So that when you're in fear, don't think this this fear isn't necessarily a sign that you're on the wrong path. It's a sign that you're on the right path because mm-hmm. you're getting closer to the truth. So it's we the book is all about not fearing the fear itself, but embracing it because it's a sign that we're getting ever closer to living in alignment. And that's such a powerful book. And it's you, you might think, oh, it's cool. Because it's called When Things Fall Apart, people mm-hmm. might think, oh, well, it's not falling apart for me, but it's always falling apart, <laughs> right? There's always something we can improve on or want to improve on in our lives. So I just love that book. It's very powerful. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. Unfortunately, it's been such an amazing chat. But one question we do ask all of our guests is if you had a megaphone, a podium, you've got a pretty big audience and following anyway, but if you had a a, a megaphone out to the world, is there a message that's kind of like deep in your heart about something that important that needs to be said? And what is it? (laughs) Well, no no pressure, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's really simple. I just think, can everybody please just do their own work? (laughs) still with their own stuff and wouldn't life be simpler if everybody was just more conscious and just worked on their their own role and things because I think that so much of our suffering and our struggle and therefore the suffering of everyone else it all comes back to people looking outwards and blaming others and also blaming themselves that's where Mm. all the angst in the world comes from so if we can be the term is self-referral. So if we can be self-referral and look at Mm. our part in co-creating our world, then that's going to eliminate so much unnecessary angst. So I'm really only just starting to understand this concept and really embrace it, but I can see that it's the way forward. Mm. I always feel so much more empowered when I just surrender and just own my stuff and own my part in it. It actually is, it's, it feels better. I love Gabby Bernstein and I read this quote from her the other day where she said, I pray that you heal from things that no one ever apologized for. I just, it just struck a chord. I, I reposted it because doesn't that just say everything that, that people are running around being unconscious mm. and inflicting their own pain because that's what you do when you've got pain and you don't want to deal with it. You inflict it on others. And so then you're bearing the brunt of other people's stuff mm. and then you're thinking it's yours and then it just keeps perpetuating. So if we can just oh meditate do do your own work and be self-referral then we're not going to be perpetuating the suffering it's that simple and I speak for myself as well I'm doing the work so can everyone else too please thank you (laughs) it's been so so great to catch up with you we haven't we haven't chatted like this all for a long time and it's been such a great 
conversation and absolutely love the book and want you to kind of, you know, propel and succeed and can't, can't wait to see it happen and the coaching and everything else coming up as well. So thank you. Congratulations on getting a book out there, your fifth book, and can't wait to uh, chat again soon. Thanks for having me, Mia. I have loved it. It's been like a, such a long, long in-depth chat and I wish we had four hours. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Modern Mentors coming your way soon.